Stampede. Garner is in 182, recorded 430, 2023. partisan, a supporter of either the Democratic or Republican parties. In fact, I haven't voted for over 25 years. I'm not a socialist, a communist, or even authoritarian. I have reservations about certain forms of capitalism, but as politicians like to say, there's nothing better that can take its place. Of course, with the dawning of artificial intelligence, there could be something that'll change the way free markets work. No, I belong to the natural world. So when I see and hear the hypocrisy expressed by our political leaders, my passion is to sit under an apple tree and listen to songbirds singing. I like to think of myself as a natural man, an artist. That's not to say I'm lazy, because I enjoy reading history. Not till recently did I know that the wife of an American president actually ran the U.S. government after he suffered a debilitating, paralyzing stroke. 
Woodrow Wilson's presidency was confronted with enormous decisions that still affect our lives today. Toward the end of 1919, with two more years left in his second term as president, his body and mind were nearly entirely incapacitated by a stroke. The symptoms indicated he suffered from an occlusion of the right middle cerebral artery, leaving complete paralysis of the left side of his body, a loss of vision in the left half of both eyes, weakness of muscles of the left side of his face, tongue and jaw and pharynx, resulting in his inability to speak. Up to that point, Mr. Wilson had an amazing life, born to a Presbyterian minister's family in 1856 and was raised in Augusta, Georgia during the Civil War and Reconstruction period. He became the first Southerner after the Civil War to become elected to the presidency in 1913. Prior to his political career, after graduating as a Princeton University undergraduate, he studied law on his own and passed the Georgia Bar and was admitted as a lawyer. And eventually, in 1902, became the president of Princeton University.
Wilson began his political career when elected governor of New Jersey in 1911. Untested as a politician, he stated he would take the Democratic nomination for governor if it came to him unanimously, without pledges to anybody or anything. He said to the people of New Jersey he was a full-fledged progressive. While governor, he passed laws restricting women and children working under factory conditions. Before leaving office, he oversaw the establishment of free dental clinics, and he signed a series of antitrust laws. In 1912, Wilson immediately gained national recognition, and during the Democratic Convention for the nomination of the presidency of the United States, he won after the 46th ballot. He won support as a transplanted Southerner with strong support from educated voters. In the 1912 election, Wilson was running against the Republican incumbent president, William Howard Taft, and the third-party candidate, ex-president Theodore Roosevelt. Wilson won with 435 out of the 531 electoral votes, with Roosevelt ending up second, Taft third, and fourth with 6% of the popular vote on the socialist ticket, Eugene V. Debs. In 1912, Wilson was the first Southerner to win the presidency since the Civil War, the first Democrat since Grover Cleveland, and the first president to hold a Ph.D., Wilson's administration was responsible for several changes in the federal government, changes that affect us today. In 1913, his first major initiative was the Revenue Act, imposing a tax on personal income above $4,000. Previously, an income tax was repealed in 1871 after first being imposed on the American people during the Civil War. But in 1913, it began the first permanent process for creating revenue for the government. He also negotiated the passage of the Federal Reserve Act, which created the Federal Reserve Banking System, and an antitrust act to promote business competition. In 1914, with the outbreak of World War I, Wilson declared America's neutrality. And during his bid for re-election in 1916, he won by claiming he kept America out of war in Europe and Mexico. However, in truth, Wilson's military intervention in Mexico was significant. But war in Europe played an important part in his second administration. Wilson's progressivism wasn't entirely progressive. What you're doing to my heart really is a crime. 
won't you tell me when you'll start giving me your time? Oh, I see love light in your eyes, plain as plain can be. I'm in doubt, so put me wise. Does it shine for me? Whose honey are you? Whose tea do you sweeten? Whose sugar and spice and everything nice depend upon you? Whose honey are you? Whose dream you completing? Who goes for those eyes like sugar plum pies? Whose honey are you? You've got a tiny little touch of heaven in your fingertips. You've got all the rest of heaven on your sugar-coated lips. Who's gonna get you some Sunday go meetin'? Whose little heart leaps and wants you for keeps? Whose honey are you? Please tell me, have you really made your mind up who it's gonna be? Don't you think before we wind up, we're terrific, you and me? Whose honey are you? Whose dream of perfection? Who's gonna raise Cain until you explain whose honey are you? Compared with today's meaning of the word progressive, President Wilson doesn't really fit that description. In fact, he instituted a segregation of the races that took nearly 50 years to undo with the Johnson administration in the 1960s. Wilson's father, a Presbyterian minister in Augusta, Georgia, was committed to slavery and the Confederacy. And so Wilson's own childhood must have been affected because during his presidency, he endorsed Jim Crow laws to prohibit the integration of the public in the workplace, specifically in the bureaucracy of the federal government. That endeavor was also endorsed in the U.S. military. Wilson openly defended segregation as a rational scientific policy. His actions resulted in the separation of African Americans from white society. It's said as president of Princeton University, he actively dissuaded admission of black students. Historians have pointed to Wilson's cabinet, whose several members were segregationists. During his first year in office, he authorized widespread imposition of segregation inside the federal government. Jim Crow laws separated the races in public, especially in restaurants, public use of water fountains, restrooms, and in public education. Those policies had long-lasting influence in shaping America's society. It took nearly a hundred years in America to put an end to those practices. 
In the second part of Wilson's progressive administration, race riots broke out in northern cities. The great migration of black people from southern states resulted in riots in St. Louis, Chicago, and dozens of other cities. Some historians claim Wilson wasn't a bigot, but was forced to accommodate Southern legislators to accomplish his political agenda. When it came to permitting women the right to vote was another matter. He personally opposed women's suffrage in 1911 because he believed women lacked public experience needed to make an informed vote. So, progressivism wasn't entirely true about Wilson. Yo soy mexicano, mi tierra es bravía. Palabra de macho que no hay otra tierra más linda y más brava que la tierra mía. Yo soy mexicano y orgullo lo tengo. Nací despreciando la vida y la muerte. Y si he hecho bravatas, también la sostengo. es ser charro, valiente y bragao, traer mi sombrero con plata bordado, que nadie me diga que soy un rajao. Correr mi caballo en pelo montado, pero más que todo ser enamorado. Yo soy mexicano, muy atravesado. Yo soy mexicano, por suerte mía, la vida ha querido que por todas partes se me reconozca por mi valentía. Yo soy mexicano. Regarding Wilson's claim that he kept America out of war with Mexico wasn't exactly true. When Wilson took office in 1913, Mexico's revolution in 1911 was still going on, and he was quoted as saying, I'm going to teach South American republics to elect good men, end quote. In 1914, he coverted the country of Nicaragua into a U.S. protectorate by stationing U.S. soldiers there throughout his entire presidency. 
he sent troops to occupy the Dominican Republic, intervened in Haiti, Cuba, Panama, and Honduras. Progressivism, according to Wilson, involved using a very big and heavy stick. Regarding Mexico's revolution, when Victoriano Huerta took control of Mexico's government, Wilson rejected the legitimacy of Huerta's regime, calling it a government of butchers. After Huerta arrested U.S. Navy personnel who had accidentally landed in a restricted zone near the northern port of Tampico, Wilson dispatched the U.S. Navy to occupy the Mexican city of Veracruz. Now, America using a pretext to invade another country continues to this day. And without much difficulty, I could cite a half a dozen instances of America's foreign policy beginning with accidental military intervention leading to all-out invasion of a country. So there's reason to believe during the 20th century, Wilson's declaration of progressivism helped to promote America's hegemony. But of course, the big story was Wilson's commitment to enter the war in Europe. Wilson and the U.S. Congress entered World War I in early 1917. The Congress enacted the Selective Service Act of 1917, drafting men for military duty. By the end of the war, nearly three million men were drafted, and the U.S. Navy saw tremendous expansion. It should be said, Wilson called for the establishment of an association of nations to guarantee the independence and integrity of all nations, a league of nations, a concept that wasn't realized until after World War II, the United Nations. But World War I taught America war was good for business. Be mighty careful, let's have a ball. Come on, all you fellas, and take a drink for my pack, cause the party's ready to start down at the chicken shack. By May of 1919, the war was coming to a close, with Germany accepting defeat. Wilson became the first president to travel to Europe in signing the Treaty of Versailles on June 28th. For his efforts, he later received the Nobel Peace Prize. He returned to America attempting to convince the U.S. Congress to ratify his plan for a League of Nations. 
but couldn't get it passed. So in the fall of 1919, he began a barnstorming tour in the West to gather public support. But then in September, he was secretly rushed back to the White House because of poor health. On October 2nd, he suffered a severe stroke, leaving him paralyzed, incapacitated, and bedridden. He was sequestered, and no one was permitted to see him except his wife and his doctor. What eventually followed was his wife taking over the responsibilities of the presidency. She, in effect, became the first female president, but few if any Americans or others in the government knew of her role in running the office of the presidency. In 1919, demobilization began of American armed forces in Europe, and it was chaotic. Four million veterans were brought home with little money and few benefits. Major industrial strikes ensued. By 1920, unemployment was at 12%, but most concerning was the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia. In the United States, a Red Scare broke out when 38 bombs were sent by anarchists to prominent Americans. One person was killed, and when nine more bombs were sent, it prompted Attorney General Palmer to suppress radical organizations. It continued well into 1920, as Wilson remained in seclusion. Illegal searches, seizures, and unwarranted arrests led to what was called the Palmer Raids, labor strikes, walkouts, disorder, riots, and even murder were concerns of a rising chaos. Over 10,000 people were arrested and 556 aliens were deported. Wilson's wife was running the presidency until his term ended in 1921. He died in 1924. Today, the U.S. presidency has been accused of secrecy, especially with Mr. Biden's health. There are many questions as to who is actually making the decisions in the White House. It's a fair question to ask, considering conditions around the world today. Does it shine for me? Whose honey are you? Whose tea do you sweeten? Whose sugar and spice and everything nice depend upon you? Whose honey are you? Whose dream you completing? Who goes for those eyes like sugar plum pies? Whose honey are you? You've got a tiny little touch of heaven in your fingertips. You've got all the rest of heaven on your sugar-coated lips. Who's gonna get you? 
some Sunday go meeting Whose little heart leaps and wants you for keeps Whose honey are you? Please tell me, have you really made your mind up Who it's gonna be? Don't you think before we wind up We're terrific, you and me Whose honey are you? Whose dream of perfection Who's gonna raise Cain Until you explain whose honey are you? This week on Garner Isn't You first heard Chickaboo by Lloyd Glynn a 1951 recording, then Perez Prado and his orchestra performing a 1955 recording of Cherry Pink, Apple Blossoms White, followed by a 1935 recording, Whose Honey Are You?, by Ruth Edding, then from the 1942 Mexican movie, El Peñan de los Animas, Jorge Negrete, Yo soy mexicano. Then from Amos Melbourne, a shortcut of Chicken Shack Boogie, 1947 release. And to close, a repeat of Ruth adding, Whose Honey Are You? Stampede, written and performed by Edward Garner in Morro Bay and Paso Robles, California.